Spotlight On is brought to you by Light, the technology platform reimagining e-commerce for live events. You can learn more about Light at light.com forward slash partnerships. That is L-Y-T-E dot com forward slash partnerships. Hello and welcome to Spotlight On. I'm your host, Lawrence Purrier. This week, the spotlight shines on violinist Marissa Licata. I recently caught Marissa in concert here in Seattle, where I was struck not only by her musicianship, but her theatricality and her diverse repertoire, which spanned Eastern European, Afro-Cuban, American jazz, and much more. With her conservatory training, Marissa has played with international artists including Jethro Tull, Alicia Keys, Ringo Starr, and many others. Pre-pandemic, she was violinist and concert mistress for the American Repertory Theater production of the Alanis Morissette musical Jagged Little Pill. ART is where she'll be returning this summer, as you'll learn in our talk. Marissa gives us insight into her training, her approach to repertoire, and she tells us a little bit about how the worlds of classical and theatrical performance work. Enjoy our talk. So um, you made it back to New York safely through the rain and sleet and dark of night? Yes. Uh, so when uh, I was supposed to leave on that Friday um, on the, uh, I guess it was the 28th. And yeah, a couple canceled flights. Then they rescheduled uh, myself and my drummer. We both came from New York for the Royal Room show. And um, so we, we came back. Uh, we were scheduled to go back on that Friday. That couldn't happen. So we, we managed to sneak out a couple of um, tickets out for Sunday. So it wasn't too much of a delay. He and I had a great time. We went to Snoqualmie Falls. We uh, did some, you know, some other trails and uh, just hung out with friends and family while we were there. So we made use of the extra two days. Yeah, if I recall correctly, it was beautiful out here that weekend. So you lucked out. It was, there was sun, um, actually, yeah, from like the, that Wednesday on, there was sun every day. So, um, yeah, no, we had a, we had a great time and, uh, um, got to, got to enjoy some of the scenes and, um, which we otherwise wouldn't have. Yeah. Well, you're, you're, what you just said sort of alludes to a question I had for you, which was, um, I, I couldn't tell at the show, um, was that your full band or was that a pickup band? So, um, actually, well, I guess technically it would be a pickup band. Um, my drummer and I, uh, Shannon Ford, we, uh, we, and the story that I told, um, at the show was actually really true. One day we were sitting in New York and we just decided, Hey, let's go to Seattle. I have a cousin in Seattle. Let's go visit her. Let's play a show. And there we are. So, um, so he and I are from New York, um, you know, currently, uh, working in New York and, um, the uh, guitarist Greg Fulton and um, bass player uh, Dave Pascal are both um, Seattle um, locals and very much in the musical theater scene and the band scene, um, as is Alexandria, as Alexandria Henderson, the vocalist we had. Um, and uh, they are friends of Shannon's. So 
Finn and knew them. Shannon's played with them on different show type um, show settings. But for me, it was the first time actually that I met them and wow. um, played with them um, in a, you know, in a, in a, in a band type setting, but you know, it's, um, and people, people ask too, they're like, well, how did you guys rehearse? And, you know, with, with COVID, like, how did you, I mean, it was hard to be in the same room. And then of course we're not in the same city. Um, and we decided on tunes that we wanted to do just tunes that we liked. And, um, we're like, let's, let's learn these individually. Um, and let's do a rehearsal before the show. <laughs> so that's how we do it. And I mean, obviously those guys are at such a level that it's, um, you know, you can you just trust them. I trust them. I trust, uh, I trust Shannon's, um, you know, I trust his friends on stage. I trust who he knows. And so we, uh, yeah, that's how we did it. That's really incredible. Could you? And I think, I think that's kind of also, not to cut you off, but I think that's also how um, rehearsals are now. Um, you know, how the, the rehearsing um, has had to be, at least over the, the past 18 months, um, just to keep everybody safe and to still be prepared. So yeah. figure out new ways. Did you... Um how much of the arrangement was known, known in advance? Like it's one thing to sort of learn the tune, but then to have what an afternoon, I guess, of, of rehearsal, like how, how, how into it does everybody come prepared for the actual arrangement? And, and before I let you answer, I will say there were a couple of songs that clearly were either, this is where I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't tell if you guys were playing from an arrangement or if you were a group of people that had played together a lot and were reading each other's cues, like, you know, I was really trying to figure it out in the moment. It's funny. <laughs> Glad I tricked you. No, um, well, so as far as arrangement goes, that is pretty specific. Um, so what I, what we, what we did was uh, Shannon and I recorded with a bass player out of New York, um, mm. someone who we've all played with um, before. And, and when I did my Birdland debut, um, uh so we put together a little a little group and basically got some reference tracks together for gotcha. um, the Seattle band in this case. And you know, when it's another show, we would we would do the same thing. So the arrangements are quite specific. They are um, uh, exactly where we want solos, um, exactly where you know where we've rehearsed. Um, kind of uh, um, you know when I do an unaccompanied like intro, um, like I did to start the show. Um, and at different points, um, it's sort of like, okay, when I play this line, this is where you come in. Um, yeah. and that we recorded. And, and so they had ability to rehearse with that, with, with, so, um, the, the cues and the arrangements are quite specific. That said, um, the solos are completely, whatever we want to do. Um, the length of the solos, the, the, even the form of the solos, uh, we did change a few, um, that day, but as far as, um, uh, that's, that's not as big of a deal to change a form here, there, you just have to remember it. You know, this is what we're doing for this show. Um, so that isn't as, as difficult as, um, making sure that the arrangement is, um, you know, we want everyone playing such and such at such and such a time. Um, solos, that's for everybody that that's just free for all. And, um, and uh, I remember, and my the band and I, we've 
talked about this because we had such a, it was so exciting for us to play at the Royal Room and we had such a great time and um, we're still talking about it. And um, the one moment that we are, that we really felt like we can, we were all connecting was um, uh, when Greg, the guitarist took a solo and, um, and then Shannon said, yeah, and you got up in his face. Like you I remember that. In his face. And so, I remember. And yeah. you, so this is something totally in the moment, um, totally in the moment, because I felt like um, I just could feel it. Like he was ready to do something, you know, he was already saying something so important. And it was like, I, I really want to like bring this to the next level. It's just sort of a moment that you could feel um, on stage in the moment. And um and he was ready for it, you know, with a, with another guitarist, someone who is reading his music and and getting the arrangement and and really playing a perfect show. That's not necessarily the case. I don't necessarily feel like I can do that. But with these guys um, and and being able to feel them and see them on stage, I was and that's how it is. It's like, what can I do on stage actually in this moment? Um, and so that was one that we were still talking about. <laughs> so, and it was really fun. And it was fun to, you know, get up in his face and, and kind of go a little bit wild and, you know, make the mistake if that's what was going to happen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There, it's funny that you point that you, you, you select that moment because, um, again, it translate as an audience member, it translated, there were two or three times when, uh, Greg was soloing that, I sort of perceived you really locked into it or, or you almost enjoyed it as a, uh, you know, as a, as a, as a recipient of the music, as opposed to just solely being someone else up on stage. Like I, there were a couple of times where I thought, Oh, he's like, he's, he's, he's saying something to her right now. It was. Yeah. Very interesting yeah, moment. absolutely. And um, like I said, that doesn't always happen and it's, it's great when it does. And, and I wasn't necessarily expecting it, not because they're not great musicians, but because when you don't know them, you don't, yeah. sometimes it takes a minute or a show or two or three or a rehearsal or, more than a, an afternoon of rehearsal um, to feel that connection and feel that trust. It, for me, it really is about trust. Um, to be able to trust that they can handle it, to be able to trust that, oh, I'm not like actually freaking them out right now and, and giving them something that's gonna just make them nervous, you know? And um, that's what I was reading, but I, but I knew that, um, I knew from how my friends talked about Greg and how um, uh, hearing him and how well prepared he had um, uh, himself for the rehearsal. I was like, oh, that he'll, he can handle it. And all I needed to hear and see was that he was, he was willing to, yeah, take a solo and, you know, take a chance there. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a, um, is that a paradigm that you often tour or perform under? Do you, is it just you and Shannon on the road and you use local people or like, how does that fit in with your usual way of doing things? Uh, well, um, <laughs> the usual way of doing things now for the past two years has been um, me alone in my room and, yeah. uh, you know, imagining <laughs> what, what used to be. Um, but in, in all seriousness, actually, um, Shannon and I have formed, um, oddly over this time of not being able to be in the same room, um, we have formed a kind of um, uh, like a core. Um, and I'd say there's, there's 
um, a core of the New York people. And there's another person in um, our bass player in New York who's also part of that core. Um, uh, and yeah, I think in the future that that core, the three of us or the two of us, you know, it also depends on schedules, but we would, yeah, that would be how we kind of travel and then see who can, uh, who's, who's there in the cities. You know, it's also fun to, um, I, I like that element of improvisation to every show um, because you don't know these people sometimes. And that's when the real stuff can really come out. Yeah. Um, or it doesn't. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you, and you make that a moment too. I believe in, I believe in making everything its own, um, you know, its own show. I, I, I don't think that there are really any real mistakes um, in, you know, with, with that type of, um, with that mindset of, uh, you know, you got great players and you've got, um, you know, maybe some people who are more or less experienced in certain types of music, but, you know, you just have to really have willing people to want to do it and mm -hmm. it will be great. Um, in that, in that kind of a performance environment, um, where you're sort of, you're courting, um, and you're, you're very much interested in the spontaneity and the sort of unique musical stew of that configuration. What is, are there any like, um, bare minimum requirements? In other words, do you want to hit the beats of the arrangement? Do you, um, you know, is there anything that you say, all right, these are the ground rules that we have to at least stick to, or is it really like anything goes? Ground rules would be let's end together. <laughs> so, we don't even have to start together because we can play that off. We can, we can pretend like, Oh yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's colors. And you know, yeah, we meant to do that. You know um, yeah. Ending together is a big, um, a big deal, but um, well, uh, yeah, I'd say that there are some, um, there are a few hits that are in the arrangement that are um pretty necessary, almost just as cues for, okay, when are we going to the next section? But a lot of times that takes care of itself on its own um, because of the arrangement, because, you know, I do send charts for what I have, unless it's, um, you know, the, the covers that we did were pretty much from the original version. So, um, so those we, we all just learn, I myself too, um, I didn't write out a chart for myself, um, I just learned it from the, from, um, you know, the record, the original recording. Um, the sections kind of um, flow into each other. If you, if you've learned the melody or you've learned your part to, um, to the song or the tune, um, then, um, you know, we're, we're basically going to be in the same place. Yeah. Yeah. So let me, uh, let me use, if I may, that, that particular performance that I saw as a little bit of a jumping off point to some other questions. Um, how is the repertoire that you choose to perform um, informed by, or, or what is it reflecting in your musical background and sort of what you, what music you grew up around, what, what music you were educated in? Like what, what is, what is your repertoire manifestation of? Uh, it is actually um, a, a really good telling of the story of the music that I've been fortunate enough to hear um, through um, I went to school at New England Conservatory, um, it, both for undergrad and master's, and I did prep school there as well. Um, I've had a classical music background um, 
had a classical music background up until, uh, you know, we'll say age 18. Um, so 18, 19. So I had 16, 15, 16 years of a classical background. Um, my father is a musician. Um, he had me listening to, he plays saxophone. He had me listening to John Coltrane, Ravi Shankar, um, uh, the klezmer bands, uh, uh, just all different types of music, salsa, uh, whatever, you know, whatever was out at the time and what he liked. And um, he was heavily in, in jazz, but for me, um, just the fact that there were all these different types of music um, really opened my ears to oh, I don't have to just play Mozart or just play Beethoven. And just because that is technically how I learned. Um, I always knew there was so much music out there. Um, so when I got to, you know, in high school and got to college and, um, and beyond, I was just interested in all these other cultures. It helped me learn about cultures. It helped, it helped me learn about history, history of other, other countries um, through the music and, um, and I loved it. And I loved learning, you know, um, you know, seeing the dance that went along with it, the, the reason for music. Um, and so for me, um, I put together this show. Um, my shows are just <laughs> simply tunes that I liked, that, that I've liked and that I've um, heard and that made an impact on me um, in, in my past, like, all I can say that all of those um, all of those tunes that that we played were tunes that I um, when I first heard them I was like stopped you know and I was like whoa okay you know so for me that's a big deal and it's and I wanted to know more and um, and uh, and I've been fortunate enough to have some really really amazing people within those folk musics and and cultures teach it to me. Um, firsthand. And, uh, it's, it's, um, it was anything but a technical or, uh, the classical background. So I loved having both the technique, but also the ear part of it. And, um, I really feel like the, that show, my shows, um, put together everything. Um, my technique, I do like to show that off because I have it and I worked really hard to get it and to um, be able to play things like Tchaikovsky. And um, so I weave it in and um, I enjoy weaving it in. And I enjoy when publicists and, uh, um, you know, agents or people who try to, you know, who market the show or whatever, they're like, well, we're a little confused as to how, uh, how, do, we, how do we label you? Like, what do we call this? I'm like, I don't know, but, um, I, I like it because it shows that there's just so much, so much there and so much of, um, so much of music. Um, and that's real, that's what I'm looking to show. Yeah. It, it adds a very sort of exciting and fun element to the show as well. Not knowing what the next sort of what the next turn will be either yeah. stylistically or, you know, and, and, uh, it's a, it, I thought it was a great pacing of um, like being introduced to, you know, say an Eastern European folk song and then sort of getting the dessert of like, oh, something I was already familiar with. So it sort of brings the audience along too. it allows you to expose them to things, um, but then sort of reward them for going along with you with something they're already familiar with. Um, it's a really good sort of 
it's a good programming model. It's great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, that also took some time to figure out exactly how to do that and how to do that, you know, convincingly. And like you say, not, not throw too much of, um, of something really cool, but something that it's like, whoa, a lot of at one yeah. time. Um, uh, and, you know, I also never want to forget what, it, what I grew up on, what I, um, some of the first early um, songs, melodies that I heard. Um, and so it, it, I, I, it has taken um, some years, I will say, to put that together into a story of also like, where I come from musically, what I've heard in my life from a little girl to maybe yesterday, you know? Yeah. Um, so, uh, and, and the, <laughs> the elements that it brings um, to the audience of, whoa, we're not quite sure what's next. I also like to, to put that in there for myself. Um, you know, I like to, I love the element of surprise for myself. Obviously, I'm not surprised at what we're playing with that. That's rehearsed, practiced. But um, so I think that's why I like to put in the um, the improvisation, like, all right, let's take a solo or maybe I'll yell something. Maybe I'll say something because um, I'm not shy about that either. <laughs> it, it definitely does not need to be this like, well-rehearsed, silent, you know, like, no, I'll just, I have no problem. I'm not sure I did it so much at the, at the Royal Room, but um, I, I have been known to just literally like scream out whole sentences because I want us to go here rather than maybe where we rehearse. But um, I like that too, um, because it keeps me excited for what's next. Yeah. Was the was the violin something? I was trying to do the math while you were speaking before um, for how long you were playing um, up until your conservatory time. But was the was the violin placed in your hand as a child, or did you choose the violin? It was placed in my hand as a child. Um, my father uh, could not wait till I turned. <laughs> I think I think you had to be like two years and ten months or something. Um, so just about three, um, in order to start a string instrument, um, as a Suzuki group lesson, um, student. And, uh, he could not wait, uh, until the, whatever the cut, the age minimum was, um, uh, he wanted me to be a musician. He wanted me to play music. He wanted me to go to New England conservatory. It was, it was a very much a plan. And, um, uh, and, you know, people often ask me, well, you know, he played saxophone, why violin? Yeah. Um, and uh, it was simply because you could start it at the youngest possible age. And he, that's what he wanted to, um, that's what he wanted me to do. And um, so it was, it was placed into my hands and, um, you know, uh, there's, a couple, there's certainly opinions about that, that type of plan and that type of uh, method, but uh, I, it was the instrument for me. Um, I can, I can say that uh, there are some other instruments that I'd like to play and uh, maybe I'll do that um, at some point, but uh, it, violin is, is me. It's my, 
um, personality. And so good choice. (laughs) Did you ever, um, did you ever rebel against it? Was there a time where you said, I'm walking away from this? Um, or were you always all in? Uh, there was never a time when I said, I'm walking away from this. Uh, there were times that, um, I said, I'm doing actually at a young age at 12, I was actually maybe 11, but I was like, I'm doing this my way. This I'm the violinist. This is how I'm going to do this. This is what I want to hear. This is what I want to hear out of myself. Um, and, um, and, and it goes along with also the, the route I've decide, decided to go um, to not do classical music. Um, that was a certain, uh, uh, that was a certain, um, very certain decision that I made. And I didn't wanna do that. You know, no one's gonna tell me that I can only play this and this is my path. Um, so in, in that sense, I, made my own decisions and I made it very clear to whoever, you know, teachers, father, um, coaches, whoever, that, that, uh, this is what I was going to do when, and they could accept that or not, but this is what was happening. (laughs) Yeah. Um, when, when, a when a musician references, uh, Suzuki for, um, what the what what should the what should a layperson take away from that meaning? Because it's often said without being explained. What 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 exactly is it? So it's a method of um, uh, starting string instruments. I think also piano too. Um, but it's a method of um, starting playing solely focused on the uh, student beginning to play. So it is an oral, it's absolutely an oral um, method. There's, uh, you don't start reading. It is, um, they want to immerse you in your playing violin. Um, here's how you hold the instrument. Here's how you do, you know, they, they um, will teach certain basics like that. But the whole point of it is to get the student playing as soon as possible. Mm. Um, that's what you're there to do. You're there to develop your, um, ability to play by ear. Um, not, not reading. It's almost, um, it's almost like, uh, it's centrally focused around ear, um, your ear training, um, and ear playing, I should say. Um, and that has some, you know, advantages, disadvantages. Um, I can say for me, um, I should say too that the the method isn't designed to like be end all be all. It is to start the student or whoever wants to play playing um, because that's the fun part, you know? And so I think, I think it's a great method. People, people definitely have um, criticisms of it. And the criticisms I think would be, the criticism would be that, um, you know, you're not, you're so focused on ear training that your reading and your recognition of, you know, the notes suffers a little bit um, because it's so dominant on, on the playing by ear. Um, some people say that, you know, like your technique could suffer because you're not, you're not uh, focused enough on 
you know, hand position or this. Um, it, it really depends on your teacher, obviously, with any, like with anything. Um, I do think it is a good method. I think that playing by ear and being able to do that gives you so much security as a musician um, that you can fall back on. And, and when it becomes, it's, it's the way that music was passed on, has always been passed on. Um, and so I like that organic part of it too. Um, I think it sets up a good mindset. It was certainly great for me because um, I, I think that it, I still go back to the, um, that, those first developmental years of, I'm playing violin, like, and I'm using my ear. Um, I see a lot of musicians who are great musicians and they don't trust their ear. Um, you can see them not trusting their ear. Uh, they're paralyzed without something to read. Um, and they have the ear, they just don't trust that they have the ear. Yeah. So I think it's a great method. Um, but to answer your question, what it means is uh, that you, yeah, it's, a, it's an ear playing by ear method. Yeah. And um, what's the longest length of time you've worked with any one individual teacher? Um, well, so my teacher, the teacher who I would consider my teacher, um, uh, he has passed away now, um, but his, his name was Eric Rosenblith. And uh, I met him when I went to, back to prep school at New England Conservatory. And then I stayed with him through undergrad and master's. So I was with him for um, about 10 years, maybe, maybe a little over, um, 10, 11 years. And um, uh, he, and it's not because he's the last teacher that I had who, that, I, that it, you know, it made the impact. No, he, he was just an amazing, amazing man, amazing player, and really devoted and dedicated to his students um, and would individualize everything, you know, if, if uh, he, and he would look at each student differently. He wouldn't, um, if we're talking like fingerings, he would say, well, you know, this fingering doesn't work as well for you because your hand isn't as fat and short and fat as mine. Um, so, you know, he would take into account uh, just who you were as a person who, your physical, um, it, you know, your physical, uh, maybe limitations, but your, you know, your physique, your hand, your everything. Um, and each time it was something new, um, for, for him. And he loved figuring out how to make you individually the best player that you could be. Yeah. After, after that length of time in sort of the, the student teacher relationship, um, do you ever reach the end of the road with a teacher like that? Or like how, to, you know, um, I would imagine, you know, the parody starts to get closer, but uh, like, what, what's the, what's the relationship look like the deeper you get into it? Uh, I think it becomes, I think you become friends by the end. Um, I think that, um, he, for me, became someone that I could call at 11 o'clock at night uh, if, if I wanted to talk with him about something, not even just musically, um, ask him something. 
um, I, uh, you become, um, you know, less teacher student. And he always, he, he always wanted it to be that way from the beginning anyway. Um, he would always joke that, you know, um, about th certain things that maybe I didn't know or that I obviously didn't have much experience with, he'd say, well, that's okay because you have older friends who, who, who know a little bit more about this. And, um, but he would always consider himself uh, your friend and he wanted you to consider him your friend. Um, and I think that it was part of when a teacher agrees or, or takes on a, a student, another student, um, for him, it was, can I be, can, can this person and I be friends? Are we going to be friends? Um, cause then we can work together. Then, you know, um, we can really make a lot of progress. Um, and as far as like the lessons, I mean, he's, he's a man who you could always learn something from, but it becomes, uh, oh, Hey, Marissa, do you, uh, I, I, I'm playing this chamber music festival. We need a violinist. Uh, do you want to play with us? So it's now, um, again, as the friendship gets stronger and, and he's worked with you or he's worked with me for that amount of time, um, he knows what I know. He knows what I can handle. Um, again, this, this idea of trust. Yeah, come play this festival in Austria with me. Come uh, play this uh, concert uh, you know, it becomes more like that. They, um, I think the teacher will invite you in to then perform with them. Yeah. Yeah. How did you, um, I, I, how did you come to the Ian Anderson and Jethro Tull relationship? So, uh, <laughs> that was, um, God, that was actually, I have to say it was all, um, it was pretty much right place, right time. Um, I was in school. I was in my doing my undergrad at New England Conservatory. Ian Anderson called uh, the gig office that we have there, um, where I happened to work. Um, it was my little work study job, and um, I didn't answer the phone uh, at at this when he called in. Um, but someone picked up the call. He called the gig office and said, um, I'm going to be in Boston. I'm, I'd like to hold auditions for an upcoming tour I have. Um, any interested people should send their you know, press kits to such and such. Um, and uh, so that's what I did. I was like, well, actually, first, I wasn't even interested. I said, well, I go to my mother and I said, um, Mommy, dude, there's this band that uh, is playing. I mean, it's pretty good money, but I, I mean, like, do you think like I could, because it was during school and it was during, you know, during the semester and I'm thinking my mother's never going to allow me to go tour with some band. She's like, well, well, what's the name of the band? And I was like, um, Jethro Tull. And she's like, Jethro Tull. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, who are you they? Pack you your bags, them? girl. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. She practically like threw me onto the tour bus and she's like, you are auditioning for this. You are taking the tour. Um, and uh, so um, that's how that happened. I, I went, I auditioned. Um, he really liked me. I, I think maybe being a little bit naive to the whole, the whole scene at the time I was, I was, I think I was 19. So I was, I was young. Um, and rock wasn't something that I, um, at the time had a lot of experience with. So 
I was just like, well, I'm just going to go in and like play and be loose and free and hopefully they like me. And so that's, that's how it went. I took an audition and, wow. and actually I, re- I, I think that was probably for like a pop and a pop tour or a, um, you know, a tour of that caliber. Um, that is the last first and last audition I ever took. They don't, uh, there are no auditions. It's word of mouth. It's, you know, who recommends you, who recommends. And um, I really respect to this day. Um, I really respect how Ian does uh, business. He does it himself. He, he doesn't have a casting agency. Oh, we want this look. We want that look. Now he's like, who can play and who do I want? And, uh, you know, and so that's what he did. And um, I wish more things would be that way. <laughs> yeah. Is, yeah. Does he serve as the musical director for the band or is there a separate sort of MD? There is a separate MD. Um, and again, it's, it's similar to, um, I think it's similar to how um, I've modeled uh, how I try to, lead my bands and with my show um, after him because he has a separate MD um, who does all the arrangements, um, does all the, um, you know, the orchestrate orchestrations for what, what the different combinations of ensembles. So um, he's got a separate person for that. Someone he's handpicked, someone he's tested, someone he's worked with for years. Um, and, um, and that is separate. Um, of course, the songs are his. Of course, uh, he knows what he wants, but um, that is the the writing and the putting down on paper and um, the different orchestrations is uh, um, given to definitely designated to his MD. Yeah, and um, you know, so what was that like coming from the world you were in to that? Was it? I, well, I'll, I'll, I'll stop trying to guess. What was it like? <laughs> <laughs> it was so cool. It was the coolest yeah. thing ever. Um, it was exactly what you might think, you know, like in a dream or these, uh, you know, you, they dream about like, oh, what's it like to be a rock star? It's, it's everything. It's flashing lights. It's, uh, you know, um, thousands of fans. It's these huge arenas with, um, you know, strobe lights and, and light show and smoke and, uh, electric instruments. It's, um, it's all that. And, uh, I, for me personally, I, um, I really, uh, tried to be in every moment, um, every show, every moment to like, remember it all because it really is such a dream and it's so cool and you feel so cool <laughs> you feel as cool as you think you're gonna feel if you ever get that <laughs> if you ever get that opportunity you're like yeah you feel pretty good about yourself so um and it's fun because it's loud and you know that you can just sometimes you just want to like be loud sometimes it's like you know, coming from classical where you're like, oh, this crescendo and that crescendo and oh, with pianissimo down to the most, the softest, most delicate sound you can make. And um, not that that, it, there isn't an element of that there and it's in its own way, certainly, but it's like, go ahead and play. It's freeing. Yeah. 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 Did, um, did you have to, um, 
Did you have to learn anything in your actual technique or delivery to be able to play in that environment? You know, you said things were more electric or more loud or, you know, what, was there an adjustment you had to make or an adjustment period? Yeah, uh, there, there certainly is. Um, for me, I think the biggest, um, the biggest adjustment was actually using in-ear monitors. Mm. So um, because on such huge arena stages and even small theaters, the stages are so big that you can't acoustically hear the other, the person next to you, you know, um, you know, next to you. Uh, I wouldn't be able to hear the bass player. Um, I wouldn't be able to, I could probably hear drums, but even that, you know, the sound is bouncing and doing so many things in these huge spaces that um, you need to be wearing in-ear monitors. And um, the first time that I, that I use them, it's like, I can hear so clearly, but it's like too clearly. And I also yeah. sound like, feel like I'm underwater. It, you know, it's like when you can hear your own breath or your own like humming and, you know, in your ears, it's like, I can hear it, but it's not necessarily like helpful. <laughs> so um, that um, that was a little bit of an, an adjustment um, for me. Uh, and it, it did have me a little, maybe um, a little unsteady, just like, okay, I'm not quite sure I can hear myself. So those, that, the, those, that was definitely the hardest thing for me. Um, the other thing, which you might not think about, I certainly did not, was that um, the motion of the tour bus, when you're on a tour bus uh, through the night, and then you wake up, you get to um, the venue, and you sit in your chair for whatever rehearsal, or you're standing there, and you get you get this sort of like, di um, like off balance, dizziness, um, and that happened to me for about a week or maybe even two. And I'm like, I'm standing there, you know, like I'm rocking out. And then all of a sudden I'm like, hold on, wait, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta sit down and even sitting doesn't help. I'm gonna sit on the floor because I almost fell out of my chair at dinner a few times. Um, so, you know, and that was like, oh, when is this gonna, when is this gonna wear off? Cause I don't, <laughs> I didn't like that. So um, yeah, those sort of like balance things. Were you a theatrical or a, um, a physical player um, before your foray into rock and pop? You know, you mentioned earlier in the conversation how you got up in uh, Greg Fulton's face. And like, you know, I, I just observed you, were, you know, you're very sort of you're an active participant on stage. You're not just standing there, you know, doing the soloist thing or what have you. Um, is that something wh where did that enter your your sort of musical personality? I think it did start with the with the Jethro Tull and Ian Anderson um, uh, um, experience. Uh, I'm trying to think. Before then, um, I wanted to be more active. I wanted to be and and a criticism of me as as you know, growing up, um, you know, from a little kid, you know, eight, nine, ten, all the way. I, I can remember till I was you know, fifteen, sixteen. Um, people would say, you know, you look so stiff, you look so um, rigid uh, when you're performing or when you're playing. And they're like, you sound great. And it, there's a ton of emotion in your sound. But the, 
but how you how you stand it's it's like you're like a statue so um and um and in the classical context i i it's like I, I would always kind of think to myself, well, yeah, you're dictating exactly what I can do, my dynamics, you know, exactly how everything has to be. You tell me if I do this, no, that's wrong because the composer doesn't want this or that. Um, so it was always kind of funny to me when people would say that. It's like, well, yeah, because you're restricting me to <laughs> to exactly what's on the page. It's like it's not exactly a... Um, uh, a relaxed uh, yeah. scene there, but um, so uh, when um, but when I started playing other types of music, I realized, you know, like I was saying, the dance and the movement that that has gone al along with it for maybe thousands of years. I um, I felt like drawn to it because I'm like, oh, I can move. In fact, I should move. It would be weird if I didn't, you know. Um, and and I think that's what drew me to the music, uh, the the element of dance, and um, and then yes, as far as the presence on stage, I saw what the guys in Jethro's Hall did. I see, I saw what people in other bands did, and it's like, yeah, people want to see someone having fun, and you should be having fun if you're enjoying the music you're playing. Um, so that all kind of uh, because I I I always wanted that I always sort of had it in me but I think um, with the classical background and maybe some of the teachers I had before my teacher um, I uh, growing up I think I was like afraid to move or play a wrong note or play a, a scratchy note or whatever so um, I, I think that was again freeing um, to see to know that that's that option is there so what's next for you in terms of projects or coming out of the, the pandemic? Will you, do you get on the road? Do you like what, 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 how are you thinking about what's next? Um, well, right now, actually, um, there's been quite a bit of um, uh, quite a few opportunities for like Broadway or off Broadway shows um, for me, which is something I love. Uh, absolutely love doing it. I've loved doing it ever since, you know, I would do like the middle school plays and um, really enjoyed being involved in the theater scene. So um, there are, that's what's on deck right now. I'm, um, I'm going to be going back to Boston for um, a few months to do the ART's American Repertory Theater's um, production of 1776, a revival of the musical. Um, and so I'm going to be involved with that for a few months through the summer. Um, yeah, uh, doing some shows with with the with the band with the New York band, um, similar to the Royal Room. Um, I have a Birdland show, two Birdland shows coming up in March, the end of March, um, March twenty seventh. There are two shows that evening, one at seven and one at nine thirty, and uh, so that's yeah, that's going to be fun. Another similar uh, situation. Um, I've got my um, I've got the, the core, um, but uh, we'll be introducing a, a new singer and um, a guitarist out of New York uh, who's, who's really great. And um, yeah, we're just going to have some fun doing that. And, um, you know, all these guys are on shows or doing, you know, their own projects. And so it's hard to 
sometimes get everyone together. So when we can, even, even with the, you know, shutdowns, various shutdowns, um, it's still kind of crazy that people are so unavailable, but, um, but yeah, so that's what's on deck for, for right now. Some musical theater, I think is, this is going to be the year for that. Um, and just continue to do some recording, maybe with some other projects as well. Yeah. Do the musical theater gigs sort of, um, do they make it hard to do other work? My, you know, sitting on the outside of that, it looks like they're, you know, they look like they're demanding gigs in terms of the rigidity of the schedule. And, you know, how does that, how do you balance the sort of steadiness and the lifestyle plus of a gig like that with sort of wanting to develop your own things? Uh, well, uh, it's, po it's absolutely possible. And um, all the, everyone, that I know, especially in the rhythm sections, because, you know, bass players, drummers are so high in demand. And um, it, there is a, uh, like a lock-in period for any Broadway or off-Broadway show. Um, Broadway's a little, uh, it definitely more, um, you do have to commit that time. It's, it's, it's about a two month, two and a half month period where you are rehearsing the show. You're uh, doing tech, tech work, tech week with um, with production, and you really have to be there. But outside of that two and a half months, um, you play. You're required to play 51 percent of the total shows for the year. What whatever that number? I mean, it's an eight show week for for Broadway shows. So. Um, as long as you make over 51 and you can divide that up however you want. So say if you have a three month tour, um, you can technically take off three months and uh, sub give it to a substitute. Um, and um, you know, they, or several substitutes and they'll cover your show while you're, while you're gone. And then you just come back and um, sort of make up that time. Wow. Uh, that way. So it's absolutely possible. <clears throat> and um, yeah, I know, I know a ton of people who are off touring and then they have, you know, they know they have to play like six months in one day <laughs> of their show in order to, uh, you know, keep being the, the chair player for that, wow. that gig. And there are people who leave too, who say, you know, I, I've loved this show and I'm tired of it and I want to do something else or I, want to sit around and do nothing, you know, um, there are people who do decide to leave and, um, and that's entirely acceptable as well. Um, yeah. and, uh, and you would in that situation, just give it to, um, presumably a sub that you've known and trusted and who, you know, can handle the show. Um, but it's, as the chair, are you responsible for sourcing the sub? You are uh, in most cases um, in in New York. Yes, uh, sometimes you know um, there are uh, MDs or um, people who want to be more involved in who subs and or if they don't want a person subbing. But um, but yeah, it is uh, it is you um, recommending and and kind of. Um, putting, putting those names there. And, um, I can tell you that if you, as a sub do not do a good job, <laughs> that is not a good look. Um, you know, if, if you're just unprepared and, and, or, uh, 
you just haven't haven't prepared enough uh that that can that won't work out well but um <laughs> for anybody yeah so sometimes it right so sometimes the mds do like to be more involved just to have someone they know yeah but the, but, the general notion is it's your seat fill it yep it's your seat fill it and we don't want to know that we don't want to know that there's even a different person there you know if if i weren't looking or if i happen not to look at your chair I don't want to know that that's not you. That's, oh, that's fascinating. That's, yeah. Um, that's kind of the, the thing. Yeah. Wow. wow. Well, thank you for spending time to do this. Sure. Today. Um, of course. I really appreciate it. It's great to, it's great to spend some time talking to you. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad we were, I'm glad we were able to figure everything out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, with hopefully my, mostly on my end with my well. computer. <laughs> No, I, I appreciate the diligence. Um, so sure. I, I hopefully I'll see you in Seattle or maybe back in New York. I'm there uh, with some regularity, um, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll check your calendar when I travel. You definitely uh, let me know and uh, let me know when you're in uh, East Coast. And um, I'm looking forward to hopefully coming back West Coast in the summer. Wonderful. All right, then I'll, uh, I'll plan to see you soon. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Marissa Licata. Thank you, Aunt Taylor and the team at Light. And as always, thank you for listening to Spotlight On. Get and share all of our past episodes. Write a review. Even send us a message through our website, spotlightonpodcast.com. If you like what we're up to here, please leave us a review on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Join us again next week. In the meantime, be safe and stay in touch.